Kia and welcome to the Kim Hill Collection. Now, almost all these interviews were suggested by the various wonderful and largely unsung producers who worked with Kim over the years. But this entry, the first entry, is the only interview that Kim herself suggested. It's from 2016, and it's with the movie star Burt Reynolds. He just released his memoir. Burt Reynolds died two and a half years after this interview aired, and Kim absolutely loved it. She said he charmed her. And I think you can hear that in the interview. It's introspective, it's a touch mournful, and it's just wonderfully and kind of jarringly honest. We do hope you enjoy it. Burt Reynolds, in his heyday in the 1970s, he was huge. And after Smokey and the Bandit, he was for five years Hollywood's top box office drawer. And such fun he had, money and mansions and wives, including the famous Lonnie Anderson, divorce from whom kept gossips busy for years. Anyway, the money went in various ways. Bad investments, bad marriages, and in a memoir called But Enough About Me, Burt Reynolds says he feels like a man whose house was blown away in a hurricane. His possessions are gone, but he's thankful to be alive. I'm happy to be able to report that he is alive because there has been a flurry of hoax reports online about his death, which must be weird, I suggested. I'm used to it. I'm so used to having people say I'm this and I'm that. uh, I have done a few things that I probably shouldn't have. Yeah, it's like your life doesn't belong to you, I suppose. Is that what it feels like? Yes, it does. Mind you, I mean, when you've been as big a star as you have been, maybe you felt that before, that your life doesn't quite belong to you? Yeah, sometimes it feels that way, but I've I've got some wonderful friends, thank God, that have helped me uh, along the way. Unfortunately, I'm at that age where I'm, I'm losing friends every week, it seems like. It's just uh, the way it goes, you know. One of the reasons for that is that you've done your own stunts over the years. And in fact, you used to be a stuntman at a a tourist attraction in North Carolina before you made it big in the movies, right? Yes. So you you must be able to, to think back and count the injuries associated with each of the movies you've done. That's exactly right. Huh. What's the most impressive stunt you ever did well i got uh, i got a little bumped up when i did deliverance i went over the waterfall and uh, the director uh, set a dummy over first and i told him it looked like how oh, it looked like a dummy and i said let me do it john and he said by that time he was pretty convinced i could do anything he said all right so I went over uh, the falls, and uh, the first thing that happened, I broke my uh, backbone on a rock, uh, cracked it, and then I did a couple of uh, flips and uh, hurt my neck, and uh, then I got down on the bottom, and it was a hydrofall. I couldn't swim out of it. I kept pulling myself back. The, the water did 
So I remember they told me to swim to the bottom, and it would shoot me out. So I swam to the bottom, and it, it just didn't tell me that it would be like shooting out of a t- torpedo. I went flying out of there, and uh, well, they they told me that they saw this 30-year-old man that was in great shape go over the falls, and uh, then they looked down the down the river at about a hundred yards, a, a nude old man was crippled falling down and walking back to them. And that was me, unfortunately. I think that you asked John Borman what it had looked like, and he said it looked just like a dummy. That's exactly right. <laughs> you describe him as the best director you've ever worked with, John Borman. What made a good director for you? Well, someone who listens to his actors and then uh, decides whether they've got a good idea or a bad idea and also somebody that's uh, easy on, on everybody and, uh, he has a good time with you you have I, I had a good time with John I really really like him despite and, the fact that you nearly got killed going down those falls yes besides that you know, I didn't, I never thought about it really, but I went back and watched the scene again of the boy on the porch playing the banjo duel with Drew because you say in the book that the child couldn't actually play the banjo, so another boy put his arm in the sleeve so that he could that's do the right. right moves. Is that right? That's absolutely right. It was amazing. Again, that's John Borman's genius. And, uh, said they could do that, and they did it, and it, it worked wonderfully. Really sinister-looking child, that, huh? Yes. Great movie, though, and I think you must be very proud of Deliverance still. it was It's one of those movies that survives the test of time, doesn't it? Yes, I, I am proud of it. I think, the, I think it's the best film I made. I remember um, watching Ned Beatty uh, in an interview... And he said that you, of all people, loved to laugh. You loved to laugh more than to breathe. And that's the, that's the impression that one gets throughout your book, really, that you had such a good time. I did. I really did. And I love Ned. He was wonderful. That was his first movie. Tough role. He was having yeah. to do the whole rape, squealing pig scene. It was pretty horrible for for somebody's first movie, and uh, he was he he handled it all right, but he was pretty torn up about it. And he went to a psychiatrist about it for a year or two after the picture was done. Did he? Yes. Were the concerns that that scene wouldn't get through, that audiences wouldn't tolerate it? Yeah, there were. There were. But John just went ahead and shot it, and uh, it was uh, it, it's strange now because I, I went back there uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, I asked the guy uh, if I could go look at the creek, you know, that we went down, and he said, yeah, you mean Sodomy Creek. Oh, <laughs> good Lord. So now it's on the map. Sodomy Creek. Wow. Um, you expected Deliverance, I think, to do a great deal better at the Oscars, either Borman or yourself. And I did. 
I did. You, I, I really think that I, I might have had something to do with it, not doing as well as it should have. Explain that to me. Well, posing uh, nude and cosmopolitan, I don't think helped it at all. <laughs> it was a great picture, though. Oh, thank you. Ah, <laughs> but, I mean, these days we look at that. I know you haven't got it in your book, right? No. Okay, because it's not one of your proudest moments, I'm imagining. But we look at it now and assume that it was done with a sense of irony. Was it? I, I thought so. I was having, a, again, a good time. I remember that it was a very cold day, which didn't help me at all. <laughs> and uh, also, I, I also felt that uh, these guys were not uh, helpful at all. So I asked them if I could have a drink of alcohol or something. So they set out for a bottle, which I quickly whisked down. And it uh, at least it helped me, uh, you know, have, enjoy it, if nothing else. Well, you're looking fairly relaxed in the shot I saw. <laughs> I suppose that when you've lived a life as long as yours and in Hollywood, there are bound to have been mistakes. You seem remarkably frank about your own. Do you think you've made more mistakes than other people, or are you just more open about it? I've made my share, but so has everybody else, I think. Uh, and, I, and I don't worry about it. I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky to be alive and, uh, and very happy with... Uh, some very dear friends that I've had over the years. We talked uh, about reports of your death being uh, exaggerated a little earlier, and indeed this is something you're accustomed to. I know that back in the 80s there was the big AIDS rumour because you got, well, you got painfully thin. Explain to me why in the 80s the rumour about you having AIDS got legs. Why did you oh, get yeah, so well, thin? Well, that was, that was because I had broke my jaw in, in a picture I did with Clint Eastwood uh, in the very first day of shooting at a fight scene and a, a, a guy was supposed to pick up a chair and hit me and it was a breakaway chair but he picked up the wrong chair and uh, he, he didn't break the chair he broke my jaw in about three places and I, I couldn't chew so uh, I spent the next uh, six weeks of the picture not being able to eat anything so I was drinking you know uh, whatever uh, milkshakes and things like that that I could get down and as a result I lost a tremendous amount of weight very quickly and uh, I looked I looked like I was uh, cashing in I think that jaw injury turned out to be something quite serious didn't it yes it did what was it well, it was just that. It was a broken jaw and a broken uh, the, the bone that goes on up into where your ear is was cracked. And uh, to this day, it still hurts. It's, but they call it TMJ. And the TMJ uh, problems that I had with it were really tough. I mean, I've, I've had, I had pains from it with it with, for a couple of years. So then you started taking massive doses of Halcyon, which would have helped, I imagine, but brought its own problems. 
Well, it just was. Uh, it just was when you do stunts. Uh, you know, sometimes there's problems, and uh, that that one wasn't mine. That was the other guy picked up the wrong chair, and he he felt terrible about it. But that didn't help my joining. No, um, football's been very important in your life. You you started out as a as a football star in college, um, although I note that you chose Florida State University back then because somebody pointed out to you that. There were seven females there to every male, which seemed like a good prospect for you at the time. But you broke your leg, and that essentially was the end of your football career. If you hadn't done that, would you ever have got into acting? I don't think I would have, no. It was my knee. Uh, they really, uh, the guy hit me from behind on the, my knee, and it just went sideways. And uh, I cracked it and uh, when your knee goes in football you're usually done for because you can't if you're back run the ball you can't cut to the right or to the left on that knee and I, I couldn't so I was uh, it was over so I went as far away from the athletic department on campus uh, as I could go and I ended up in the theater department and I, I saw a lot of girls and a lot of guys who were kind of light in the loafers. And I thought, maybe this is good. This is for me. And uh, it turned out it was. Although before that, and presumably influenced by your father, who had been a cop, you went to Palm Beach Junior College intending to be a parole officer, That's which in retrospect seems a remarkable choice of career. I think I would have been a good one. Do you? Yes, because I understand that whole need at that age to show off and get in trouble and you get with the wrong crowd. And, and also, uh, my father being the chief of police helped because I could talk to these young men and tell them that uh, there is a better way, you know. You talk about your relationship with your father uh, a couple of three times in the book, and it's quite a common story of your generation. He was your hero, you looked up to him, he was a war hero, you wanted to please him, and he never acknowledged your achievements until that, the very end. It was that generation that didn't say, I love you. They They just couldn't say it. I said it to him, but he couldn't say it back. What he did finally say was, uh, I'm proud of you. And that was that was a long time coming to me. But I, I took that for as good as I love you. Acting was for sissies, he would say. Yes. Do you think then, here's a stretch, do you think that your career of action movies and tough guy movies, as opposed to the more serious roles that you now say you wish you'd done, do you think that that was influenced by your father? Do you think you set out to prove that acting wasn't for sissies, actually? Acting was for really tough guys who could take the punishment. Yes, he influenced very much uh, the, the roles I, I did. He, he liked a couple of pictures that I did, but he didn't tell me. He told other people, and they told me. I, I, Deliverance and, 
the longest yard and starting over. He he liked those pictures, uh, but I did a lot of them that he didn't like, and uh, I, I I know that uh, there were some pictures that I turned down that I. I would tell you, but my IQ would drop about 30 points if I told you what they were. Oh, yeah. Did you ever turn down a Bond movie? Yes. Okay. <laughs> there goes the IQ right there. Right there. Do you remember which one it was? Well, it was the, the one that, uh, and, and eventually it was Sean Connery that did it, who was wonderful. I oh, thought, right. Fact, I thought he was the best one of all the guys that did it. Yeah. Although Daniel Craig's not bad, huh? Yeah. Boogie Nights, I'm imagining, is one of the movies that your father didn't approve of. No, he didn't. Although it was critically acclaimed. Oh, yes, yes, very much so. You had your qualms about it because you thought, well, maybe it glamorizes the pornography business. How did you overcome those qualms? Well, I, I, I didn't. I mean, I, I had a hard time with that myself. I, I, I didn't like making a movie for the same reasons that he didn't want me to make it, but it turned out to be the most, uh, well, for me, it, it was the most... Uh, well, well, I got nominated for Academy Award, which is the only time I was nominated in my career. Paul Thomas Anderson um, is a, hailed as a good director, but not the easiest director you found, I think. No, no. But, uh, you know, uh, again, if you do comedies, comedies just by the very nature of them being comedies for years and years and years have never been nominated for anything, and that's all I ever made usually. Uh, that's why I think that picture uh, was, was uh, you know, thought well of because it was uh, in, its, in its own way a very a brave picture to make. Yeah. Is it right you've never actually watched the whole movie? No, never have. That seems weird. Why? <laughs> well, I don't. I'm not. A, I'm not a big fan of that guy. <laughs> Is that right? What that guy? Me. D Digler. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I can see that. A couple of things I wanted to clear up. Did you really, at one stage in your life, drink beer and tomato juice? Yes, I did. Both mixed up together? Yeah. What is that about? It tastes pretty good. Are you serious? Yes. <laughs> Why, well, I think you really should. You don't have to tell your husband or your boyfriend or whoever. No, I'm going to develop it. I'm going to secretly have it. Go at beer and tomato I think you juice. should, and I, I think you're going to be surprised. Second question, did Alfred Hitchcock really say that Smokey and the Bandit was his favorite movie? Yes, he said that, and I, I was sure that he must have been sending me up. So I saw him one day walking to the commissary, and I walked up beside him and asked him right out, Mr. Hitchcock, I... Uh, something to ask you, and 
you can just tell me to go to hell if you want to, but is it true that you liked uh, Smokey and the Bandit? He said, I, I owed it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I I uh, didn't want to press my luck. I didn't ask him anymore. No, no. Well, I would want to know more now, though, wouldn't I? Yes. It was the yes. biggest commercial success, I think, that you ever had, the Smoking the Bandit and the Subsequent. Yes, sequel. that year it was second only to uh, Star Wars. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, you know, there again, I had I had turned down that picture, which shows my IQ dropping. What, what role did they offer you in Star Wars? The lead. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Oh. Han Solo, I think it was. Oh, Harrison Ford. Well, I don't know. I think you would have been great. Oh, thank you. Of course, the other thing that happened in Smoking the Bandit was that you and Sally Field fell in love. Oh, boy. Did I? Well, I fell in love. I'm not sure she did, but oh. I certainly did. And that went on for about five years. You never actually lived together? No, I tried. I, uh, I remember when I was asking her if she'd like to make it permanent, she wasn't interested. And when she seemed interested in asking me, I... Uh, I wasn't interested. I made out to be anyway, and it uh, it just didn't happen. But uh, I must say, I'm I'm still very very smitten with her. Well, the book reads in parts as if uh, you're proposing to her one more time. Is she hitched at the moment, or is she a free agent? Things could still happen. I think she was free, but uh, wasn't interested in me. No, but right now. No, I don't. Well, I don't know about now. I I haven't seen her. I actually haven't seen her in person in a few years. So I don't know if it, if she even talked to me. But uh, I always cared for her a great deal. She always seems a very nice person in her persona and the role she plays. And she really is that nice, is she? Yes, she is. She's very very strong woman, which I always liked. And she was enormously talented. I remember uh, saying that I I wanted her in uh, Smoking the Bandit, and everybody said Universal said, "Well, she isn't sexy." And I said, "You don't understand. Talent is sexy, and she's enormously talented." You have had um uh quite a run of strong women in various ways. Uh, nobody could accuse Loni Anderson of not being strong, right? Very strong, very beautiful, but uh, it, it, it took a, little, a few hours for her to get ready, <laughs> which I found strong, but a, a pain in the neck. Wasn't she the reason why you flew over the National Enquirer headquarters and dumped horse dung on it? No. That what was that? That was just because they they kept nailing me with stories that were not true and really stupid, as they always do. And uh, but they seemed to have it in for me. So I uh, I had a lot of horses at that time and and a helicopter, and it seemed like a good idea. And it was very funny. It was supposedly the biggest Christmas tree in in the United States. 
and uh, I I thought that was uh, very bad that it was the biggest Christmas tree at their place. It shouldn't be at their place. That was that was very bad. <laughs> and so the Christmas tree ended up being festooned with horse dung. I tried to let them know that it probably helped the tree grow, but they. they... <laughs> I'm talking to actor and one-time Hollywood superstar Burt Reynolds. We need to talk about Donald Trump, mm-hmm. whom you'd had experience with, um, and your experience with Donald Trump led you to say in the book that you pray he never gets the chance to do to the United States what he did to the United States Football League. What? Well, he 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 wasn't. He was all he was totally wrong in what he did. What he happened? Well, he had a team in New York, a football and, team. Yes. And what he wanted to do with this team was uh, immediately uh, put it uh, up in front of everybody else. And uh, and the people that were in, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, a Canadian man who, uh, who I liked enormously, uh, that was the head of of, of the league at that time, and Donald, like everything else he does, wanted to be uh, the, the head guy. And the man was named John Bassett, who you probably heard of. Yeah. And uh, and he were he uh, had sense enough not to go against the NFL. We w- we would be play the games in the summer, and uh, and not in the, in the winter. And uh, what what. Uh, Bassett uh, wanted, I thought was right, and what Donald wanted, I thought was wrong. I like I like Donald. I mean, when I see him, he's always friendly and very, uh, very happy to see me. It seems so. I, I feel the same way about him, but I don't. I don't find uh, his ideas about football right. <laughs> what about the ideas about anything else? Well, we we could talk a long, long time about that. You said that he's only interested in two things, or he was only interested in two things, money and publicity. Do you think that's still true? I, I think he might put women in there someplace, too. Uh, yeah, he's uh, he was very, very uh, sharp man, businessman, and uh, a businessman and... Uh, which I would never was good at. Uh, he was enormously successful as a businessman, uh, but he did make it tough on the other owners. And uh, I found that most of those guys were guys that loved football and wanted the uh, wanted the, the game to go on in the summer, and also had a place for guys who. Uh, were good ball players that just weren't good enough to play in the NFL. You've said that almost everything good in your career started with Johnny Carson. And in fact, I think you got the role as Lewis Medlock in Deliverance because John Borman saw you hosting The Tonight Show, did he not? Yes, he did. So what was it? I mean, The Tonight Show, We, I guess we forget in these days of multiple channels, just how huge Johnny Carson and The Tonight Show was. 
he and I just immediately seemed to get along. And uh, he was not somebody who uh, took a liking to actors immediately. And and he uh, asked me, I remember the, we went to the first commercial, and he said, would you like to host the show? And I was absolutely blown away by that and uh, he had never asked an actor to do that. Is that because you were outrageous? I mean, you know, you weren't when you were there to to spruik a movie that you were in, you wouldn't say it's wonderful and I loved every moment of shooting it in the malarian ridden swamps of the Philippines. That's you exactly said. right. What did I, you say? I just, well, I, I said it was the picture should be shown on airplanes in prison so nobody would walk out. <laughs> or or it's a turkey, don't waste your money. That's right. So that was refreshingly honest. I thought it was. And so how many times did you host it? I hosted it about seven times and then uh, I had a great time doing it. Uh, and I was too dumb to be scared, I guess. I, I had a good time. And uh, and showed people you could laugh. I mean, until then, you'd done a lot of, as we mentioned earlier, a lot of pretty serious, no-smiling, uh, tough-guy roles, but nobody quite knew what a good time you could have, right? That's right. That's exactly right. I know your first guest was... Your ex-wife, Judy Kahn, the late Judy Kahn, she died quite recently. And that was a very bold move because you, you didn't have the best of marriages, I don't think. Well, she, uh, every, every line was a straight line for me because, you know, we had, we had had our ups and downs, needless to say, and she just was trying to get back at me. But the audience... Any audience doesn't like that when somebody goes after the other person. And uh, so I just let her paint herself in a corner and then came back at her. Oh, she uh, was taking pot shots about Dinah Shaw and your relationship, was she not? Well, I told her, which is true, that nobody will ever have as much class as that lady had, and certainly not you. She um, she took that in her stride? Not in her stride, no. <laughs> no. Along with the exaggerated reports of your death and exaggerated reports of your health issues, there have been reports of your financial problems. So what's the truth of that? I know you've had a number of business enterprises that went belly up. I don't know how you're fixed now. I know that Divorce. I'm doing very well now. Good. And, uh, Did you sell your place in Florida, Valhalla? I, I've been offered uh, $3 million and I think I'll probably sell it. With that, I'll buy a million-dollar house somewhere in Florida and uh, be very happy with it. So you've got an offer on it. You'd yeah. be sad to leave it, I guess. Yes, very, but uh, it's way, way too big. It's just uh, ridiculous to have a, a house that big for me. And can I ask you if you are in a relationship? Am I in a relationship? Yeah. 
Yeah, I have a I'm dating a girl who I, I like enormously, who's very, very sweet and not in show business. And uh, I like her for that, and I like her because she's very, very sweet. And I'm not ready for a, a heavy-duty relationship right now anyway. Is this the first time that you've dated someone who isn't in show business? Yeah, it is. Wow. Well, you're a slow learner. <laughs> well, we would think so. <laughs> so this could be, you know, your whole life could turn around now. It you, could. Yeah. You could, in fact, become the parole officer that you were supposed to be. Well, wouldn't that be nice? It would. James Dickey, I wanted to talk about for a moment because we were talking about deliverance earlier. And I, and I often wondered what he was like. I never really read much about him, but Deliverance was a great book and a great movie. He was wild, wasn't he? Yes, he was. I didn't like him. He was uh, very uh, loud and verbose and constantly, uh, you know, braggadocio about his... He was a great big man. He was about six foot five and very loud. And I remember one time he was had everybody corralled over on the other side of the room in this bar where we all went to. And I was by myself sitting at the bar. And he came over and he put his arm down on one side of me and the other arm on the other. And he was, his head was up above my head. And uh, I don't know, he said something. And I, I whatever it was, I didn't like it. And I said, look, Get away from me, or I'm I'm going to really damage your uh, your your image as this tough guy because I'm going to run you across the room and dump you on a table. And he said, "That's exactly what Lewis would have said." <laughs> Defusing the situation quite cleverly. Yeah. Huh. Um, you describe yourself as fearless to the point of insanity. This goes back to doing your own stunt work. Does it extend to everything? I mean, did you really have no fear? No, I didn't. I never had any fear. Not about stunts. Because my best friends uh, were always stuntmen. Not actors, but stuntmen. And if you had your time again... Would you have got somebody else to do some of those stunts, perhaps? Well, I think I probably, if I had any brains, I probably would have uh, let them do a few of them, yeah. Why why uh, take that money away from them, after all? And just for the record, you've made over 100 movies, and you say you're proud of maybe five. So... We've talked about Smokey and the Bandit, and we've talked about Boogie Nights and Deliverance. Any others that you are particularly proud of yourself? Yes. Um, starting over, The Longest Yard. Yeah, The Longest Yard. Uh, and that was great for me because I was playing football and getting paid for it, which is what I always wanted. And I did a picture called Breaking In, and physical evidence, which not many people saw, but 
I, I like my work in it, both of them. I think what, what people love about you most is that you are extraordinarily candid about the whole Hollywood business. The whole, I don't know, the phoniness of it in many ways. Well, that's why I live in Florida. Uh, <laughs> why? Well, because I, you know, out there, everybody talks about their last picture and their next picture and the picture that they're writing themselves and uh, all kinds of, that's all they want to talk about is themselves and the movie business. Down here, nobody talks about the movie business. They they talk about, well, you know, uh, if they're if they're horsemen or cattlemen or wherever they are, uh, they talk about that, and it, it's just a, a totally different kind of way of living, which I like a lot. You came in at the end of the studio system, um, in many ways, and the studio system. Yes. Sounds. I mean, I presume it had its advantages, but it sounds horrendous in terms of ill treatment of the people who made the movies great. Would you agree? It, it was like yes, we treated like uh, cattle. And uh, when they they fired Clint Eastwood and I on the same day, and they told him that he uh, his Adam's apple stuck out too far and his tooth was chipped that he would get it fixed and he talked too slow. And I said, well, why are you firing me? And they said, you can't act. <laughs> <laughs> and then you said to Clint Eastwood, well, I can learn to act, but... You'll never get rid of that. <laughs> <laughs> that was universal, right? Yes. And you went on, of course, as you said, to work with Clint Eastwood. Um... You've worked with a lot of people, and you mention them in the book, people that others are really scared of. I mean, I'd be scared to talk to them. Johnny Carson, uh, Frank Sinatra, Clint Eastwood. But underneath it all, you seem to suggest that that's just a front that they put on to protect themselves, and they were not scary. They were good people. Is that... You, you would... They would love you, because... Forgive me, but I'm very fond of the way you talk to me. I, I, I think you're very straight, very honest, and uh, you're one of the best interviewers that I've, I've had. At a oh, long, come long on. No, I'm not. Come on. I'm the truth. So why did Frank Sinatra have such power? You know, he was a little bitty guy. He had no physical presence. How did he become such a powerful, feared person? Because he had big guys standing around him, and they were his, uh, they were his muscle, and they were, uh, you know, they were there for just exactly that. Frank was, uh, you know, a, a good hard wind would blow him out the window. Yeah. I, I don't know, uh, but I found him fascinating in, in the sense that, uh, if you ever saw him on stage singing, he was so, he took the stage with such power, and he owned the stage, and he was, well, there'll never be another one like him. It's a mysterious thing, isn't it, that presence that you yeah. can yeah. own. 
the stage. Although in a lot of his movies, I think you say that he was, you know, phoning in the roles, a bit like Marlon Brando. Yes, I did, like Brando. Not, there were times when he was very arrogant to the point where I didn't like him at all. But I liked him on screen. I thought he he did some film work on the waterfront. This is totally perfect movie almost, and he's brilliant in it. You've got a picture of yourself, and I think you were... Uh... Not exactly spoofing Marlon Brando, but uh, making reference to a Marlon Brando type individual. And oh my goodness, you look exactly like him. Yeah, uh, yeah, I did. And I, I, he thought, which I didn't like at all, that I tried to look like. It was him. in a Twilight Zone episode, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And he he said that I was uh, trying to look like him, and. Uh, and in that particular role, I was trying to uh, be like him, just for fun, you know. But uh, and he was probably right, and it wasn't very flattering what I what I did, the role that I played. And uh, I had a couple of guys call on me, as they say, and say. Uh, Mr. S didn't like the way you handled that. And I said, well, tell Mr. S to come and tell me. And I never heard from him. Good Lord. So have you got any more movies that you want to do? Oh, sure. I, I want to do something that's totally different from what uh, what people are used to be doing. Yeah, well, no more stunts, all right? <laughs> all right, I'll try. Yeah? What would you like to do? I'd like to do something that's totally different from the things that I've done, and I'd like to surprise people in the sense that I think I can... I think that I can do uh, some things that people would be surprised by. I have a script that I'm doing next uh, called Shadow Fighter, which is about a boxing coach. And uh, it, it's, I've never done anything like this. It's very, uh, a very serious film, but at the same time, it has uh, a great relationship between uh, this guy, this coach, and his and his fighter that he's, you know, handling. And would you would you pay the coach? Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah. You've been a boxer, haven't you? Yes, I did years ago. What haven't you done? What haven't you done that you wished you'd done? Gosh, I don't know. I I, I think uh, I think there's a lot of things that I should. Uh, I shouldn't even think about at my age, but I, I'd probably, uh, I'd probably do it anyway. Uh, you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna live this life, you might as well live it and not just uh, talk about it. I think you've managed to do that. It's been really lovely talking to you. I appreciate it very much. Thank you for giving me so much time. Oh, well, thank you for being so nice.